I was like, great. Now I, I haven't slept. Like I'm nervous. I don't know where I am. It was just the a MD's lot, like, so. oh, she's edgy. She has such a good tone. <laughs> She's like, ooh, love that gr- that rasp, that growl. Yes, that rasp. I love the noise. <laughs> <laughs> My name's Quincy. And my name's Kevin. And this is Sentimental Men from Theaterly. We are here to talk, and maybe scream, about our favorite women in musical theater. I don't know why I'm frightened. Quincy, this is now the third episode that you have started. (laughs) (laughs) Oh! You guys, we saw Sunset Boulevard starring Stephanie J. Block at we the sure Kennedy Center in did. Washington, D.C. Quincy, I'm excited to talk about this with you because we kind of, kind of purposefully, like, haven't really talked about it since we saw it. So this is all going to be fresh. Yeah. So Kevin and I saw it on different nights. Kevin saw it on Friday and I mm-hmm. saw it on Saturday night because that's how scheduling played out. And we did have a second on Saturday to kind of like touch base but just the just the spark notes just the spark notes yeah and because you hadn't seen it yet i was kind of just like prepping you i wasn't really sharing opinions okay where do we begin let's begin with Derek klenna (laughs) who you told me kevin you told you were like he sings it really well which i thought was an interesting not because he's a bad singer or anything i just thought it was like an interesting to point out interesting thing to point out about like the production and then sitting in the audience I was like oh no he sings it very well very well (laughs) yeah and I was even surprised because it's like obviously I know he's a good singer like that's that's Mm -hmm. not what was surprising but it was just kind of like I don't know like a part of his voice that I I hadn't really heard I've never heard him sing that way before yeah and it was such such like a it was like a different kind of leading man like it was a little more grown up a little more adult as opposed to like the young charming Fiero prince of it all. Well, and I was kind of thinking that exact thought during the performance. I was like, this was kind of a brilliant thing for him to do in his career because we know Derek Klenna as playing the teenager in Jagged Little Pill as a Fiero type, as a Mike Petersburg type in Anastasia, even a Christian in Moulin Rouge. Like this kind of set him, this was his way of saying in my mind, hello world, look at me. I am a leading man, capital L, capital M. I agree. I agree. It was a very smart career move for him. And I think like even just the like the esteem of saying, oh, yeah, I did Sunset Boulevard at the Kennedy Center with Stephanie J. Mm. Block. That's like such a huge Mm. that's like three, one, two, three. Impressive, impressive, impressive. This was a theatrical event. Like, let's just say that this felt so, so special. It was. It's definitely going to be one of those things that like. For decades, the gays are going to be like, well, did you see Stephanie J at the Kennedy Center? Mm -hmm. It's going to be like- And listeners, I've been seeing bootleg clips floating around. If someone has a full video, just send it to us because that we need to have on record. Yeah. Yeah. It was, well, okay. We can't get to her yet. We can't get to her yet. Um, No, Derek Lena, he sang it really well. He looked amazing, obviously. I thought the acting was all there. And here's the thing. Joe is such, Joe is the type of part that I feel like you could just slot in any musical theater guy and it would be fine enough. Yeah, any tenor. Yeah. But I feel like Derek really brought an energy to it and a point of view to it that made Mm. him engaging to watch in a way that I have not always clocked Joe's in productions of Sunset Boulevard. Something else I loved about Derek is he knew the show was about Norma and about Stephanie J. Block 
because as excellent as he was, when he was not supposed to be the focus, he wasn't. Like he he mm-hmm. really knew when to like give energy instead of receive it kind of thing. I don't know. I thought it was, mm-hmm. it's always nice to see kind of like Fierro in that it's like you need a leading man, even though it's not the leading man of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought he struck that balance really well. Uh, do you have general things you want to say about the production? I know we're just like edging to talk about Miss SJB. The set was cool. I love the projections. Uh, Stephanie's costumes were exquisite. I thought the car situation that was happening, the like lights with the cars, I was like, you know what? This is working for me in a way that I don't think I would have thought it worked if you had described it to me. Yeah, that was fun. A little blinding, but fun. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned Stephanie's costumes. Do you want to share your thesis about the wig? I would love to. Okay, well, first I just want to say the gowns, the capes, the robes, each one. The hair. The hair. (laughs) Yeah, literally, eyes, hair, mouth, figure. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The robes were great. Every time she came out on stage, it got a little "Mm," from me because it it was, each one was so beautiful. The New Year's one, when he was twirling her, Mm. ah, stunning. Mm -hmm. Absolutely gorgeous. perfect year. Mm. The last thing I'll say about costumes And then we'll get into it. I believe in my heart of hearts, and maybe this is the equivalent of saying she did an Elphaba riff in Into the Woods, but I believe in my heart of hearts that Stephanie J. Block was wearing her Reno Sweeney wig at the Kennedy Center. I don't not believe that because when I saw the photos, that was the first thing I thought of. Yeah. Do you genuinely think it is the actual wig, though? Or is it just kind of a similar wig? I think it is, and here's why. Because they were not going to make a wig for this production. Like, they were not going to make her a fresh wig to be worn Mm -hmm. for eight performances. Mm -hmm. And so I would bet that they called whatever shop made the wig last time. Because, you know, maybe she has it it. in her home. You know what? Maybe she's got, like, a John M. Chu, like, wig mannequin (laughs) situation going on. Um, the references in this podcast universe Reno. are crazy. Like all the callbacks are really, really specific. <laughs> I mean, I think we'll find out. I think we post this on social and then she'll let us know. It was a really great wig. It was a beautiful wig. It is not a wig that I would have imagined for Norma Desmond, but it worked perfectly Perfect. when I saw it. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, uh, she just looked so good. Quincy, the two light cues, the first one at the end of With One Look coming straight we down have a on her. Photo of it. Stunning. But when he said, "Let's get a better look at you and turn that spotlight mm-hmm. on." First of all, I had only ever seen it done where she's like, you know, talking to somebody up there saying like, "Who are you?" Oh, yeah. and then it's like a front spotlight. But for her that like over the That's shoulder shiny. backlit. Oh, my that god. She fully like It was stunning. Into. It was stunning. It was it was a whole three act play in and of itself. It was such a beautiful moment. Gorgeous picture. Which she was so good at the like gazing, hands flowing, yes. slowly moving. Hands. It was <clears throat> relishing in the moment. It was beautiful. <laughs> it was great. Okay, so let's get into let's get into it. Okay. There's a lot of show before Norma Desmond enters. There's a lot of show. <laughs> and boys. Which is I was living for. <laughs> 
And then she, how was the applause on your night? Because entrance applause for everyone, first of all. But then once she came on stage, it was like applause all the oh, time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was big, big entrance applause, which is, I think is fun because like in the context of that moment, like the punchline of that whole moment is that it's the, the monkey. And so like mm-hmm. the bigger and more like over the top sad and dramatic and like mourning she is, the funnier that joke ends up mm-hmm. being. And so like when she came down, I mean, she was just like throwing, mm-hmm. draping herself on the banister and like touching the sunglasses and like all this crazy, you know, not milking it, but really like leaning into it. And mm-hmm. people were just going nuts. Every time she like did a new beat, people would lose You know it. what I loved about seeing it with such a raucous audience is it kind of added this meta layer and you're either going to love this because it feels up your dramaturgical alley or it added this meta layer of like okay when she comes down the staircase and gets entrance applause like that is what's in her head right now and that is her fantasy that she's living in yeah do you love that I do love that. We are kind of experiencing her strictly as spectators when she comes in. And so it's kind of a meta layer for the audience too, because it's like, oh, we're those 30,000 fans who are, who are screaming and cheering. The there's this kind the of dark. the people in the dark. But there's this weird like blurring of the lines between Norma and Stephanie in those moments. Entrance applause or the standing ovation after as if we never said goodbye. We're watching this musical about diva worship mm-hmm. as we are actively partaking in diva worship. In diva worship. Oh, oh my God. That, bring it to Broadway. <laughs> with that framing and you just put in divas come on like let's do it maybe some people have feelings about this but i love the model of like quick little stints Mm -hmm. in this economy too let's do it well and it's like wouldn't you love sunset boulevard where like you get stephanie J, and then you get like daphne rubin vega and then you get like just all the ladies alice ripley alice ripley anyone who's ever been on this podcast julia murney put her in julia murney Sorry, let's get back to the witch at hand, though. So she sings, the first thing she sings is Surrender, which is the ode to the monkey. And it was beautiful. What I loved about her her vocal performance in the show, like overall, is she was so, to me at least, it felt so like deliberate and intentional, like when she was using the head voice and when she was using the mix and when she was using the chest. And it was like- And the access she has to her head voice is very impressive. It's stunning. I mean, we knew she had a soprano, right? Like we've heard her sing like that before, but hearing it in the arc of a show and like hearing her use it as storytelling and not just because it's a song, written in that range and like mm-hmm. the way that her weakest moments were in that head voice and then she mm-hmm. was so selective of when we got the Stephanie J belt yes. I mean it was the a master class it was it was the Stephanie J belt it was great I have no notes I have nothing but nice things to say <laughs> It was kind of thrilling to see, I have a thought that I'm not sure I know how to articulate. It was thrilling to see an actress of her stature in a role that required her to work so hard. Not that it was evident that she was working, but just Mm. that role is such a beast. And I feel like it's such a treat to get these big divas in roles Mm. like that and not maybe like uh, Park and Bark, like easier roles. I don't Mm -hmm. know if easy is the right word. Am I saying Less taxing. I know what you're saying. It's like Gypsy or Hello Dolly. It's like- Right, like a big steak, as El Morgan would put it. A big steak. Another callback. That you just, you get the fork and the knife, 
You chew a little piece, then you move on to the next piece. That's what I'm trying to say. It was yeah. thrilling to see Stephanie J. Block eat her steak on stage. Yeah. And like, eat her steak. Because, like, the baker's wife is obviously very demanding, but she's not carrying that whole show. Mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. Where, like, the baker's wife is, like, this iconic role, but it didn't feel like this. Yeah, I agree. It was so great to see her in a true, like, leading lady moment. Doing it. Doing what we all know she can do. We all knew she could do it. I have a take. Tell it to me. I think for me, with one look did more for me than as if we never said goodbye. Ooh. Which is not a take I would have expected to have, but her yeah. performance of with one look was is sensational. It was beautiful. It was so it was lovely to tie in with that take. I think that Stephanie gave us a Norma who was perhaps easier to empathize with than usual or like than what's kind of the norm. And I think she set that groundwork in with one look Mm. because it was- The mental illness of it all in Mm -hmm. her portrayal, I agree was much more empathizable Mm -hmm. than in other, like there was- it felt very real. I think there was no with joke Norma, about it, it can become very heightened very quickly, mm-hmm. which is so funny because we haven't even talked about it yet, but she was such a funny Norma. So for you to say there's no joke about it, it, it that's true, but she also was so, so hilarious in making such interesting choices that I don't think have mm-hmm. been done before, at least in my purview, that made the character so funny and fresh and uh-huh. modern in a way. Yeah. Before we talk about her being funny, I want to say another moment that hit me the same way with One Look did is when they're watching Joan of Arc and mm. the what she's watching is happening behind her, like staging wise, what she's watching is happening behind her. And so we're just like watching Stephanie act out into the ether, like quote unquote, watching this movie. And it was like seeing her reaction to her younger self. And then like the moments where she was being like, you know, told she had to lose weight and like subject to all this stuff from the studio execs. It was like, it brought like, um, almost like a Judy Garland layer to it Mm. where it was like, oh, like this, this is a sad, sad person who's Mm -hmm. doing her best to remember the good stuff. It's funny Uh, you bring that Joan of Arc scene up because after my friends were talking about that like weight thing that happened where they weighed her or something. Yeah. Did that, and that happened on the with the young Stephanie J. Block behind as she's watching the screen. Yeah. See, I think I was like focusing so hardly on SJB that I literally had no idea what happened. So oh. they were talking about, oh yeah, like they added that like her getting weighed thing. And I was like, what are you even talking about? When? Yeah. They just so they had like she was doing a scene from Joan of Arc was happening back here. It was like two ensemble actors doing kind of like a pantomime of a Joan of Arc scene. And then they cut. And, like, the director came out and, like, they're taking her out of her costume and putting her back in, like, her street clothes. And then somebody comes out with a scale and they measure it and they do the whole, like, do-do-do-do-do-do. And, like, and then they kind of, like, yell at her. Wow, that's a lot going on for that little pantomime back there. Yeah, it was, but it was obviously, it wasn't distracting because, like, it didn't pull your focus at all. It was so impressive to watch her react 
in time with something that she couldn't see in such a beautiful way. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was, it was great. I, I agree. I thought her, her quiet moments were so lovely. Another one of those moments is um, when Joe is like, I'm, I'm leaving. Like I'm packing a bag. I'm leaving. And I think it's New Year's Eve. And she's like, you can't mm-hmm. leave. And she's like, tries to get him not to leave. She had a moment where she was like on his chest and you saw in her face, like all like, please don't go. I'm desperate not to have you go. Then mm-hmm. like the crazy angry, then the like masking of that crazy angry, then the desperation again. And I was like, oh my God, she's an actress. She is an actress. I thought she built the overall like descent into madness, like descent into the worst of it. I thought she timed that and built it so beautifully because it snuck up on you where it was like, oh, now she's got a gun. Like she, she, mm-hmm. she like built which is funny to say, like she built the decline in Mm. such a way that it was like, you didn't clock it happening until it was too late to fix it, which is like just Mm. what Joe goes through. You know what I mean? Oh, that's another thing I liked about this production directed by Sammy Canold is Mm -hmm. they didn't start it with Joe being dead in the pool. Mm -hmm. And so by the time Joe actually gets killed, like there were audible gasps in the audience. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess you do kind of lose that shock moment if the play starts with you know he's dead right yeah, like if you had never seen too. it and you didn't know he was dead i thought that was a really cool choice that paid off i will also say i think that derek and stephanie had chemistry together mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like the super toxic part after she tries to slit her wrists and that somehow gets joe to love her or whatever yeah, which was yeah. like so unbelievably toxic i forgot how bad that was. yeah <laughs> it's a different conversation. But still, once they got lovey-dovey, I was like, oh shit, they have chemistry. Yeah, and then I loved like seeing her Norma become more playful once they were like in whatever relationship they're in. Like when she would like do the little like butt bump and like, yeah, yeah so cute. Oh, poor Norma. The lady is paying. <sighs> ah! I was waiting for that final on a man line. And I know you got it. <laughs> No, I mean, it was really, really sensational. Congratulations to everyone involved with that production. And congratulations to Miss SJB. Mwah. Five stars. Thrilled that you did this. Maybe Hello Dolly in like next season? I would love it. That could be fun. I would love for the Kennedy Center to have like one SJB passion project every season. (laughs) I think that's great. An SJB residency at the Kennedy Center. (laughs) She's just Exquisite. doing her dream roles. I love it. I would also just like, I would like her and Sebastian to do Hello, Dolly, when they're the right age for it. Because I think sure. he would be great as Horace. Obviously, she Was it you that told me you wanted to see SJB as Love It? Or was that someone else this weekend? I don't know if that was me, but I'll take it. My last sunset thought is the night I saw it, Stephanie and Jay got at I'm gonna say at least 45 seconds to a minute standing ovation mid-show after as if we never said goodbye. And if I could have, I would have done that about four other times during the show, four or five other times. That's how brilliant she was. And I need to know so if she's great. a with one look, Norma. <laughs> and if we never as said we goodbye. Never said or uh, what would or the third one be? S- surrender, maybe we start surrender. With surrender. A surrender Norma, a with one look Norma. Also, wait, that's Or a monologue crazy. Norma at the end. She... <laughs> it's her no good the, deed moment. The fact that she does surrender like straight into with one look, that's a lot. Surrender feels like a nice bat. warm up though. It feels, it feels chill. It is, but emotionally, that's a lot. 
off the bat. That's the emotional I'm wizard and I. I love Sunset Boulevard so, so I know. much. Was this so great for you? Do you feel like I felt w- after Into the Woods? That's what I kept thinking as I was watching it. I was like, I can't believe we got <laughs> these two performances in the top half of the year, no less. I said, the fact that 70J Block has given us Baker's Wife already on Broadway and has already given us Norma Desmond and is now about to hit the road <laughs> in, into the woods on tour. I know. We will remember 2023 like, as the with- year Stephanie J. Block went back to work. <laughs> she is, she's here. She said, I'm here, I'm available, and I have a Tony Award. It's great. We are going to do also, it. <laughs> special shout out to the fact that she is going back into the woods, into, into the woods, like directly. They're already rehearsing, and she has her first performance as the baker's wife nine days after she closes Sunset Boulevard. That baker's wife is going to be dark. Because <laughs> you can't just shake off, you know what I mean? Like, that moment's in the woods. I would like to see it. <laughs> also, Queen and Andrew Lloyd Webber and a Sondheim show in the same season. No, seriously. It's really Queen wild. Shit. It's really, really wild. No, it's so funny because she'll like post stories of like people, her casting into the woods rehearsing and she's like, I'll be there soon. And I'm like, girl, take a break. I hope she has a day off and it's not just like a travel day. Oh, I wanted our last thought to be that super sweet listener that we met outside of the Kennedy Center, Bill. Bill. It was so nice talking to him. I have been (laughs) thinking about Bill and how kind he was. And what nice things he said to us. So sweet. It was so sweet. And yeah, I mean, Bill, if you're, I think you're probably listening because you said you listened. (laughs) Thank you. You really, you made our day. So thank you very much. Shout out, Bill. Bill's the best. My boy, Bill. All right. Should we get to the matter at hand today? Yes. Because on top of Sunset Boulevard, we have a terrific episode to do today. Who would have thunk? Jam-packed episode. We have a jam-packed episode today because with us today is Miss Lissa de Guzman from the National Tour of Wicked, Current Alphaba. I feel like Lissa has been making waves online. Everyone is chitter-chattering about her and how excited they are to see her portrayal in the role and the things that she's yeah. doing in this portrayal. You yeah. all have really been asking us for a while to mm-hmm. talk with her. Mm-hmm. And here we are, we're doing it. And the time has come. I'm excited, Quincy, to hear her answer to the Wizard and I Define Gravity No Good Deed question because from the outside, I couldn't tell you because they're all great. You know should what I mean? Should we guess right now? Yeah, should we guess? If I had to guess, I would put her as a Wizard and I Alphaba because of that inspired option that we must talk about mm-hmm. her with that she does mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. end of it. I'm going to say No Good Deed because it sounds the most fun. When, like she sounds like she has the most fun when she's singing that. It sounds like that's her moment where she's like, fuck yeah, I'm Lissa and I am playing Alphaba. Green girls just want to have fun. Um, should you want to read through the resume? Yeah, I would love to learn a little bit more. In 2017, Lissa joined the national tour of Aladdin, swinging and understudying Jasmine. So that was in 2017. And then by 2018, they said, oh, this bitch, bump her up to full-time Jasmine, mm-hmm. Aladdin national tour. In 2019, she's on Broadway in the ensemble of King Kong, understudying the leading role of Anne Darrow. Oh my God, Quincy, that ensemble were like Olympians. They worked so hard. 
They were swinging, they're throwing big puppets around. The choreography was like every beat was choreographed. Like they were working so hard. Elphaba must be a breeze after that. <laughs> after the pandemic in 2021, Lissa was in the reopening cast of Aladdin on Broadway in the ensemble and understudying Jasmine. In addition to all of those credits, regionally, Miss Lissa has done Maria in West Side Story. I need the boot. She also was in like Fiddler at the Muni. She did the Judy Garland musical at Goodspeed. She was in oh, Bliss wow. at the Fifth Avenue, which is like a cult classic favorite obsession of mine. Mm -hmm. Niche, baby. So she's working. She's busy. And now she's Alphaba. God bless. And this tour cast really does feel like it has some sort of special je ne sais quoi to it. So I'm very excited that we're finally getting the opportunity to talk to Lissa. It has been on the docket for a while. I know. I really like this cast too. And I think it, I like that they're coming in like in groups. Mm. Like I like, yeah. well, obviously, because with the reopening, like they all got to rehearse together. And now like this unit came in all around That's the true. same time. I wonder if they'll keep that. I think it is beneficial to the whole cast when they do it. Because they're kind of doing it on Broadway too, right? Oh, that's mm -hmm. kind of cool if we lean more a little West End now. Yeah. Well, I guess because like with the reopening, everybody's contracts kind of like, yeah, like are now like ending right around the same time. Yeah. That's exciting. Because mm. I think it helps with the chemistry. Did I say that already? You did, but uh, thank you for saying it again. <laughs> Should we get into this interview with Miss Lissa? Yes, please. I'm excited. Let's do it. Lissa de Guzman, thank you so much for joining us on Sentimental Men today. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Feels like this has been a long time coming. I know. I, know. I was going to say, we've wanted to have you, and it's just like now the timing is perfect. It is perfect. And the stars are aligning. We're so happy to have you. Yes. I know. I feel like you're not officially in Wicked until you're like sitting in this doing this. So now I feel official. Wow. Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> 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 All right, so we start every interview with how did Wicked come into your life as a person? So not necessarily as an actress, but what was your first touch point with Wicked? Great question. Yes, my first interaction with Wicked was, I think I was in second grade, and my oldest brother, who's about nine years older than I am, he had just come back from New York. He had seen the show and brought back the soundtrack. Because your brother's a performer too, right? He is, yes, yes. Gotcha. So yeah, he was like, what is this new musical? Winstot brought back the soundtrack. He was like, you have to listen to this. And I listened to the whole thing all the way through and was in love. And I was obsessed with popular, obsessed with, like obsessed with the ones you would, of course, assume that everyone was obsessed with. Popular and Define Gravity, I listened to right. nonstop. Yeah, so that was my first exposure. And I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> and then you wanted to be a performer. Like it wasn't, this wasn't a thing that randomly came out of nowhere, right? Correct. You had a dentist era. Yes. <laughs> yes. You've done your research. <laughs> Did my research. Um, yes. I actually, yes. So I was really in, I wasn't like full throttle theater right away. I was exposed gotcha. to the world because my brother did it and he knew from the age of like nine, he knew he wanted to go into theater, but I played soccer and basketball and I was, you know, academically smart. So I just had a lot of other things going on. I wasn't focused on theater. And yeah, in high school, I was, you know, when everyone is starting to think about college and what they want to do. And I was, I wanted to be a dermatologist. So like a you know dermatologist, dermatologist. you were you're right like doctor starting with a d you got it <laughs> um <laughs> A dermatologist and my parents were super excited. My dad would drive me past <laughs> yes. like our dermatologist's house and be like, look at what you could have. Like all of <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. 
I know. I still, I still remember the house vividly too. Like if I were to go home, I could drive past it and point it out and be like, that's Dr. Zerbel. Shout out Dr. Zerbel. <laughs> Look at me now. Uh, yes. And then it was like junior year. I was doing Susical the musical and my director after Wait, the show. Who are you in Susical? Who are you in Susical? Nice. I was Gertrude McFuzz. Mm. And, and at that point, like <laughs> I hadn't decided I wanted to go into it. So I was like going all out. I had created this whole character every moment had like something going on. Like I was living my life. The craft, and maybe. The, craft the craft, you naturally. know, you know, it lived within me. And my uh, director pulled me aside after the show and was like, "You have the talent to do this if you really buckle down." And you know, in in all the disciplines, singing, dancing, and acting, and yeah, buckle down and work on those. You could really make this a career. And I was like, "Okay." That's really all I needed. I just needed one person to be like, "You, you can do this if you work hard." Um, Validate you. Yeah. And so I remember at parent teacher conferences, like the next parent teacher conference, he helped me tell my parents that that's what I wanted to do. And they were not, they weren't, they weren't to come out. I literally, and I was so nervous. Mom, I was so nervous because, like, yeah, they were, (laughs) they were like, not another one. Because my brother had gone into it. <laughs> exactly. Because they already had one. Exactly. They were like, and they had five kids. That so they were so like, well, let's hope these other four, let's hope these other four are good. Oh, wow. And they weren't. But yeah. So <laughs> that's when I really decided to go for it. It was like junior year. Yep. I had my dermatology phase and then decided to go theater. So once you set your sights on the musical theater track in life, was Alphaba always in the back of your head or were we not thinking that far ahead yet? Oh, it was always in the back of my head, but I was just way too afraid to say it out loud for multiple reasons because mm. it's, it's so iconic and amazing. And also every girl in mu- musical theater says they want to be Alphaba. And I was like, right. I, I can't just like, you know go along with that. So I, I kept it to myself and, you girlies. know, exactly. I didn't want to be a basic girly, but I'm a, I am a basic girly. <laughs> so yeah, I always wanted it. Never really spoke it out loud until like, I want to say maybe right before the pandemic or during the pandemic is when I really started to like mm. to my friends. I was like, I'm going to be this. Like I will. Cause it just, oh wow, it was, I was finally like, this is actually something that is not just something I want, but something I can do and will do and want to do and got to manifest. So then when the pandemic hit, obviously like want wah for everybody, but mm-hmm. did you feel any kind of like special halt because you had just like reached that new point where you were like, okay, I'm ready to go for the next thing? Kind of. I am a very optimistic person. So I'm always like, was trying to see the positives in that time. And I feel like it's sort of reset everyone who is in theater. It just sort of mm-hmm. reset our basis for an understanding of what we do and why we do it and why we want it to come back and how we feel about it and how special it is. So yeah, it was obviously wah-wah, but then it also was like, we're all at the same level again and we all get to come back like mm. guns a blazing we're saying what we want like we're standing up for what we think is right and how we should be treated and all this like it just sort of reset the standard for where theater was going to go and so yeah it felt like I kind of had a clean slate to come back to from the pandemic being like not like this is a new me new but version of you yeah, yeah no, but, but I, be like I, I I'm standing in my power this time instead of being like I just moved to New York okay yeah mm-hmm. especially because at that point you had covered 
two leading lady roles on Broadway. Right, yeah. So I imagine you had built your confidence up. Right. I was like, yeah, I'm coming back with like credits and like good work that I've done, making, you know, making a good name for myself. I'm standing in my power more to say no to things that I don't necessarily want and need. Mm. Which we just had Lena Hall on and she talked about how that can be difficult as an actress to try and craft a career for yourself. But also there's a very real like financial side of life that like sometimes you just need to do a job. Oh, yeah. And along with that financial side is at the end of the day, we all want to be wanted. We all want to have that affirmation no matter what it is of being like, I'm doing something at all times when that's not necessarily the best thing to do. Sometimes you do have to set a standard for yourself, which for me is really hard. (laughs) So... How did we begin working towards Alphabo? Were we whispering in our agent's ear post-pandemic? Walk us through that. What brought you to your first audition? Yes, we. my, my agents are amazing. I love them so much. They already were totally on the bandwagon. They were like, yes, you will be. Well, let's get you in there. <laughs> so they had already thought about that during the pandemic. And right after, I think, is when they were doing a sort of required call for self-tapes, of course, because it was everything was only self-tapes. Oh. Yeah, and so I think it was like November of 2021 so broadway just come back everything was sort of coming back to life and there was a required call for self-tapes and i remember doing those self-tapes and my agent and i would talk about them and then i would redo them because he knows wicked so well he has many many clients in (laughs) in wicked and so he knows and you're in aladdin at this point too right yes yep i was swinging in aladdin at this point and so yeah he knew exactly what the wicked people would want so he had me redo some tapes which is amazing and i was like i trust you so yeah what were you doing in the tapes specifically i was doing um the end of wizard and i end of defying gravity Mm -hmm. and the um cub scene with fiero Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So just those three. Yeah. Wait, did can those I pause tapes? for a question about the self-tape of it all? Because this is yes. kind of a unique alphabet journey. So, okay. I am curious, how much of a perfectionist are you with a self-tape? I feel like we hear a lot of the girls say, I went into the room, like, I didn't care. I was wearing jeans, whatever, because it's like a moment in time. But are you like sitting, like obsessing over every detail of... Especially watching yourself belt like that too on tape. That's yeah, like how talk about that because nobody's ever had to do that on our podcast before. <laughs> well, this is a great question. <laughs> Ooh, and anyone who knows me and listening to this is like, oh yeah, buckle up. Yes, I am a perfectionist and. I essentially say any friendship or relationship that has survived a self-tape with me is so much stronger because of it. Uh, Like, if we can survive that, we can survive anything. No, it's so true. (laughs) Um, So, yes, I am a perfectionist, especially with stuff that I want, like stuff that I know is right, know that I'm right Mm -hmm, for, and stuff mm -hmm. I want. And so, yes, I was definitely a perfectionist. And, yes, imagine watching yourself sing the end of Defying Gravity, standing in your bedroom with a ring light on you, uh, like trying to act like you're Deciding the difference between two tiny things, you know what I mean? Yes, and like trying to sound a certain way. Yes. Right. Also, you're trying to give an on-camera performance while you're belting a Z. And and while singing with accompaniment that's already recorded because they pre-record it and give it to you. Right, so with, you have to be with their timing. With the they're not they're not following you. You have to be listening to your computer speaker while trying no. to stay in time and and act in it's in a New York apartment. It is 
on your one day off. Your neighbors are banging on the wall. Oh, neighbors were pissed. My roommates were pissed. (laughs) I was living with my brother and my best friend, Olivia. And they were like, I remember, I remember asking them, I was like, okay, I have to do an elf of a self tape on Monday. Um, if you need to go somewhere, I'll pay for your coffee. Like I will, I understand. (laughs) But they were like, you got to do what you got to do. So do it. Um, yeah, they listened to me sing that way too many times. Yeah. And then you get to a point, you get to a point where you've sang wizard and I, you know, nine times and you're like, okay, it's almost perfect. I can do that one thing perfectly. I'll try it again. Mm -hmm. And then it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse because you've done it so many times. So when in the room, it's like, okay, I did it. And it, it was what it was. And you don't get a chance to make it better. It's like such a, mm, yeah. And in the room, you, at least like in the room, you have like, I think it's good adrenaline because you're like feeding off of energies and like the piano, Mm -hmm. piano players with you and like the readers giving you good energy. Like there's just Mm -hmm. a lot of good things that help you uh, present yourself in a, in a room and you get to then sort of like leave it alone and not watch it, not have to watch it and pick it. Right. So yes. Self tapes for Alphaba. Yeah. <laughs> you can see if it's been downloaded. If you, how many? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now I'm sure it's a nice relic to have. <laughs> They're really, really funny to rewatch. Oh, and then you have to send it to your agent and have like you know that middle right. person watch it and be like, Ooh, right. Tell me what you think. <laughs> so, what was the feedback you were getting from your agents as you were going back and forth with the self tape? It was mainly just uh, specific moments and how to sing them. Like, I think I was trying to show that mm-hmm. I could belt and mix and like act at the same time. When he was like, it, "Like at this mm-hmm. point, just show them that you can sing it." So, uh, mm-hmm. it was mainly specifics on yeah how to sing certain moments. Yeah, so not not huge fixes. And I personally love getting feedback on self tapes because you know you, mm-hmm. your agents know yeah. what they're doing. Okay, so we submit the self tape. Yeah, we. Submit the self tape, just two songs in the scene, and don't hear anything until January ish. So that was in November. So, yeah, you know, Christmas time, no one's responding to anything. So, you know, you agonize over the self tape and then you don't hear anything, and you're like, well, that was fun. Yeah, but heard in January um, that they're interested and they would like me to record one more scene. And it was the scene with Glinda, the uh, we call it the fallen house scene, but it's like the the cat Mm -hmm. fight scene. Mm between them which i love that scene so that was really fun to do and so you know that got me excited again like oh they're interested at least it's not a no at this Mm -hmm. point and then after i had submitted that scene they came back and they said we'd love to have two work sessions the next week on a tuesday Mm -hmm. and a wednesday what were you thinking when you got that was that exciting or was that nerve-wracking both both okay very exciting because it was like it was the first time i was actually going to be seen in a room Alphaba, which again we all prefer mm-hmm. over self tapes. I guess I shouldn't speak for everyone. I prefer over self tapes. I think it's a fair. Mm-hmm. I-, I think it's fair as well. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, so I was really excited, and of and you know, luckily I already knew all the material, so it wasn't like I had to hurry up and learn material. It was mm-hmm. maybe just brushing it off and calming myself down. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it was really exciting. It was a Tuesday and a Wednesday. The Tuesday was with the associate director, and then the Wednesday was with the associate director and the music director on Broadway. And they called mm-hmm. them work sessions, gotcha. and I was like, you can call them whatever you want. These are definitely auditions. <laughs> Yeah. 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 And Tuesday was 
I did all the material and then she sort of gave me all the information on what should be happening in each moment. Like what, what's the journey, what Elphaba, who Elphaba is for the first act versus the second act and, you know, where, where the scene should go and how she should be, you know, just sort of giving you all the information on the character and what, what they want for these songs. And then the second day I went in and did all the material and they didn't say anything. They just, I think they just said, thank you. Or, or she said, she said, oh, you kept all my notes. Thank you. And I was like, yes, <laughs> bye. I guess, I guess that's affirming to hear that you succeeded in doing all the notes. Right, right. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, if no that's the only thing notes. I did right, then, then fine by me. <laughs> Um, and I remember texting my agent and I was like, either it went well or they are not interested in any way, shape or form. Um, because it was just mm. so quick. I just did all the material once and then left. Um, yeah. So it was, I had nothing. To- and wait, when you're auditioning now, did you know it was for lead on tour or was it kind of just to be in the Alphaba universe? Good question. It w- I did know that there was um, an opening on tour and I knew that it had to start in February. And so this is in January. Gotcha. So, oh, so um, this is quick. Yeah, but they 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 said all I knew was that was that that was the opening. They never really specified if like this audition was to fill that role or if it was for files or whatever. I just knew that there mm-hmm. was an opening to for Elphaba on tour in February. Gotcha. And did you want to jump right into principal? Because sometimes we hear from the other ladies that they enjoyed standing by first and learning the ropes and then moving up to principal. I did. I um, had understudied in previous shows and had an amazing time, but mm-hmm. I just was ready to not understudy. So yeah, I was ready to jump into yeah. the role. Yeah. So did that second work session and mm-hmm. didn't hear anything for the rest of the week. I I knew my agent said that he knew that they were interested and to wait to hear about the next steps. And so I was like, okay, this is going to be the uh-huh. beginning of like, you know, maybe a three week journey, a three year journey. Mm-hmm. Like this could, this could be at least, at least it's not a no is that what I remember telling myself. So yeah, that week went by. And then the next Friday is when my agent called me and told me that I was going to be Elphaba on the tour. So it came out of wow. nowhere. No next but step. This feels like a super unique process. Yeah. We normally hear a lot of back and forth. and t- This feels like it happened very quickly for you. Yes, it happened all very quickly because that Friday was February 4th. And I had to be in on tour with them on February 20th. Wow. And were you mentally prepared for that because you knew that opening was there or it was still a lot? It was still a lot. It was still a lot. And I had a job at the time too. A job where you're supposed mm. to give many weeks right. yeah. in advance. So it, it was a lot, a lot, a lot all at once. And while I knew it would be quick and I knew there was the opening in February, I didn't. they didn't tell exact dates. So I did not know how quick it would be. So it was mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. Okay, so now what was the rehearsal process? Because you were brand spanking new to Wicked. There was like no prior context. Yes. I had four weeks of rehearsal. Two weeks were completely by myself. Occasionally weaving in my Glinda and Fiero, but mainly by myself. And then the next two weeks were when we all... Did you rehearse in New York at all or do you only rehearse on the road? Went straight to... They were in Costa Mesa at the time. So I rehearsed for two Mm, weeks with them in Costa Mesa and then uh, two weeks in Spokane, Washington. Yeah. Yeah, and the so yeah, the first two weeks were completely by myself, occasionally with Glenda and Fierro, and then the second two weeks were when we added in the new wizard and Nessa and Bach and Dillamond, um, and sort of pieced the show together. It was mm-hmm. it was the first two weeks were very very intimidating, um, and 
expectation versus reality. Yes, yes. What was going on? Well, also, my I had, you know, um, whatever that Sunday is, was my last day at Aladdin. And then the next day is when I hopped on a flight to go to meet the people at Wicked. And my flight got canceled. So I had to... This is crazy. I had to like get on standby for the next flight. And this is from New York to LA. So couldn't be farther. Um, My flight got canceled. I had to get go on standby for the next flight. And then that luckily I did end up getting on that flight. And so I didn't land in LA until I want to say like 2am and then had to get a rental car to drive down to Costa Mesa. So I didn't really get into my Airbnb at the time until like 3am and start (laughs) rehearsal the next day, singing all of the Elphaba stuff. I do remember being like, Oh, this is going to be, well, at least I'll know what it's like to sing when I'm really tired. Right. (laughs) At the bottom. Yeah. And you had the job already. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So when you were doing it, because had you seen Wicked prior, I'm assuming? Yes, yeah. I've seen, I saw Hannah Corneau. I saw mm-hmm. uh, Jenny DeNoya. Um, mm. Those are like the two recent ones that I've seen. And then I think back in the day, I saw um, Dee, Rossioli, and Shoshana Bean. Mm. Well, you kind of look like Dee. Everyone Alpha tells Bud, me right? that, yes. Yeah. Um, really? <laughs> yeah, everyone. And I do, there are sometimes like some pictures that I, I can see side by side and, and totally see mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that we look like. And I, I have messaged her and be like, hey, everyone tells me like I look like you and I think it's really awesome and thank you (laughs) so (laughs) I take it as a compliment so as you were rehearsing what were you anticipating was going to be difficult as you got into the role and did that end up being the most difficult thing as you were actually learning it I didn't know how specific the blocking is, I guess. Mm. You go from a certain number to a certain number and there's certain tracks on the floor too for depth that you go to just throughout one song, like throughout Wizard and I. And then you're also dealing with a suitcase. And when you're holding that, when you're putting that on the ground, when you're holding it and walking upstage. Mm -hmm. So there were a lot of, along with learning like the music, there was a lot of specifics to just meld together right away because they do mm-hmm. they do a good job mm-hmm. i think it's a really good system of how they like you sing all the music the first day and then li- literally the next day you learn the blocking so you you got to be on it number one you gotta like know your stuff and so it's a really mm-hmm. good way to just mend both of them together right away so that it's not like mm-hmm. we know the song now and now we're gonna learn how to move through it it's like nope you're gonna learn everything all at once which i think is really was helpful for me at least um, but yeah, the specifics yeah. of all the ography, like the broomography and the suitcaseography and right. all of that surprised me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you shadow Talia at all? Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I shadowed Talia gotcha. um, a bunch of times, which was awesome and super helpful. And in that like third and fourth week is when you would start shadowing. Yes. And that's a whole other thing too, is um, learning the very specifics about the backstage stuff too, because she's, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, Every change she has is a quick change, and so it goes very specifically and mm-hmm. in a specific spot backstage. And and I mean, it changes from city to city. I was just going to say, I so important. Yeah, I shadowed in Costa Mesa, and then I shadowed again in Spokane to see what actually stays the same and what changes. Right. And um, mm-hmm. 
you know, what, what has the space to change and all that. So, and Tali was amazing and super helpful. And I remember, th- I do remember the first time I shadowed though, I was like watching the show because, you know, it's hard to not watch <laughs> right. the show when you love the show and you, you're right. standing like, and from who should be watching? vantage point. Yeah. I'm like, Ooh, I love from this angle. And they're like, Oh, she, she, yes. I love the end of right, popular. Where is she? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Where is she? <laughs> That's why you have to watch. All right, Kevin, what was your question? <laughs> Yeah. Um, no, so I was going to ask as part of your put in is you find yourself flying like it doing like perhaps dangerous things in a lot of roles that you step into like King Kong, Aladdin, this is that like fun for you? Like, do you get adrenaline from that? <laughs> or is that scary? <laughs> that is so funny. Um, I love it. I am a thrill seeker. So like heights don't bother me. I lots of my friends and myself make a joke. They're like, I have to fly in everything I do. I have to do like something crazy in everything I do. (laughs) Gotta be in a harness at some point. So can't wait to see what I do next. (laughs) So yeah, I love it. I I personally am always like, how can we push the boundaries? Mm -hmm. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I want to be able to sing and be in a harness at the same time or, you know, sing and do the choreography and then also run into a monkey's hand at the same time. Like I, I, Mm -hmm. it's also because I was in the ensemble and am a dancer and was a swing and Mm -hmm. understudy. So I, I've had to do it all. And now that Mm -hmm. I have done all of that, I'm sort of like, have all these skills, I guess, that I I would, I I like to utilize them all, which I'm Mm -hmm. a crazy person. I just like to do a lot all at once. But uh, so yes, the answer is I am a thrill seeker. I do love flying and being in a harness (laughs) and doing all sorts of crazy, difficult things um, while also trying to sing. (laughs) And so then like being a thrill seeker and like having really wanted to play Alphaba, when you then flew for the first time, was that like enjoyable or are you like, okay, so I'm like on zero, I'm getting in like, the, like or were you able to enjoy that moment or was it so technical? The very first time it was very technical. Yeah. There's a lot of things mm-hmm. that have to happen in a very short amount of time. And it's, it's, you're the only new person and everyone else knows what they're doing. So all eyes are on you. And if something goes wrong, everyone <laughs> knows it's you. <laughs> so yeah, the very first time and luckily the, like my first fly um, rehearsal, they, they let you do it multiple times in a row. So the very first time Mm -hmm. I was like, I just need to make sure all the dots are connected and it works and everything. And then the second time I got to do it, I remember I really Mm -hmm. like actually got to enjoy it. And while I was up there, I was like, I was, I was (laughs) loving it. So yeah, the first time was directly technical. And then after that is when I got to settle into it. Lisa, your vocals in this role are incredibly, incredibly strong (laughs) in a very standout way. I think. (laughs) Is this a difficult thing for you? Wow. You know, I don't want to say no. It, it, yes. Like, it is It is a hard thing no matter what. Jackie Byrne said no. Okay, well, if Jackie Byrne said no, then I'm also going to say no. I didn't want to be that girl. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell the truth. <laughs> oh, wow. The clips. You're going to have such good clips. Um, um, most of the time, no. It is not, it is not a, mm-hmm. a difficult thing for me, but that's also because I, when I booked it, I also, you know, we all know it's hard and we've, we've heard people have gotten injured in the past and right. I, I knew I did not stories. want that to be me. Yeah. I knew I was, that was not going to be me. So I 
the second I got the call, I my amazing friend Michael James Scott put me in touch with two former Alphabas mm. so that I could ask them questions and advice. And one of them was Jackie Burns. I got to talk to Julie mm. Murney and Jackie nice. Burns and ask them a bunch of questions. That's a and theme. They, really? <laughs> Julia Murney is like Auntie Alphaba. Like at all the new ones, She'll say it like, too. Come. I think she said that to me. We talked for an hour on FaceTime and she was like, yes, please. Let me tell you everything. And yes, I think she called she herself Auntie Alphaba or Auntie Elfie. It was amazing. So very, I'm so grateful for both of those women because yeah, they told mm-hmm. me, um, the, like the, the gosh darn truth. They told me, yeah, what's going to be hard and um and how to make things less hard and the things that they had to ask for and you know mm-hmm. and the most important thing that i think everyone alphabet will tell you is that everything you feel is not new everything you feel a former alphabet has felt before which is just mm-hmm. comforting and nice to know that it was a really good it was really good knowledge to go into the job with uh, and a really good mindset right. to be like, anything I encounter is not going to be new. And I have people that I can reach out to and, and affirm that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, anyway, I had already started the job knowing that I wanted to be really smart and know my voice really well. Like Jackie Burns told me to go and go to the ENT in every city and which I have done not in mm-hmm. every city, but I've done routinely just like for my peace mm-hmm. of mind and to, to make sure everything's good. Yeah. But yeah, when I was crafting my show and, you know, in that first music rehearsal, I knew I wanted my show to be strong. I knew I wanted it to be sustainable and efficient and what like, you know, what people expect. So I I already knew I wanted to do the show in a way that was going to be comfortable for me eight times a week, sometimes nine times, 10 times, depending on the holiday. God. I knew I wanted to be strong, I guess. So while we're on the topic of the vocals... We have the question, mm-hmm. are you a wizard and I defying gravity or no good deed alphaba? It can mean whatever you want it to mean. All we ask is that you explain why. And then we have some follow-up questions okay. because yeah. there's a lot of... We have a list. Continue. Oh, this, is, this is the question. Um, <laughs> I would say, and I have... I will like asterisks on the bottom. I've been influenced with about the answer of this question because my music director, one of the first weeks of that I was Elphaba came into my dressing room. And before I even knew that like this was a question, he was like, mm-hmm. oh, you're a no good deed Elphaba. You're a no good deed Elphaba. And I was like, what? And to me, I was no. like, does that mean, does that mean the other two are bad? I was like offended. <laughs> um, he decided so, yeah, for you. Anyway. He, he, that's what I'm saying. He's like, I've been influenced. Um, he decided for me. So I will say I'm a no good deed alphabet because, um, mm-hmm. I love the song. Number one, I think where it is in the show is it's like my last checkpoint. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of freeing. I mean, just the way the song is written is freeing, but like in the course of the show and right. the journey of the show, it's sort of freeing to be like, Oh, this is, we've made it to this. I've made it to this. And now it's like smooth sailing from here on out. Of the three, where does that rank vocally for you? No good deed. Uh, in um, difficulty? Difficulty? Yeah, like, or ease. If we want uh, to be positive. I would say, <laughs> nice. 
Uh, I would say it's the easiest for me. Yeah. Wow. So that that's also what makes it one of my favorites. And also it's out of the three, I would say it's the one that they are the, there's more space to have it be individually you. Mm-hmm. Which we had uh, listeners want us to ask you about your never again riff that you do and the riffs and options that you do, particularly in No Good Deed. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> um... <laughs> Are these Lissa inventions that were approved? Were there any that you're not allowed to do? <laughs> there, yeah, there were some other ones that I'm not allowed to do. So this is this is like the the approved version. Yeah, I sort of let it. I, I when I was learning it, I didn't want to dictate things too much. I wanted it to. I feel like you can fight for an option more if it is based in storytelling. Mm-hmm. So I right. sort of let like those two weeks that I was alone rehearsing and 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 what's cool is uh, every day my at least my stage manager and my music director had me sing Wizard and I No Good Deed and Defying Gravity every day to like build up. Mm-hmm. Endurance and yeah, exactly all of that. So every time I got to do that, I sort of just let whatever storytelling thing happen, happen. And then got mm-hmm. to settle on uh, picking and choosing from each time I got to do it. Um, yeah. And what was a- approved, mm-hmm. what my music director was like, yeah, you can do that. Right. So yeah, it was all sort of uh, came naturally and agreed upon. <laughs> okay, so on that same note, your Things I've Never Felt option, I think is inspired and unique and has never been done before. And I hope they teach <laughs> it to the other girls forever and ever. Amen. Talk to me about that. <laughs> <laughs> forever and forever. Amen. Yeah, that one I am... <laughs> I am not allowed to do very often. That one's a very <laughs> special one. <laughs> that feels based in storytelling. That feels like Alphaba is so excited. She's never felt. She's emphasizing the never. <laughs> and I had, I talked I'll say about, it. okay, Kimmy Emanuel, I'm about to shout you out. Um, I <laughs> talked, talked like kind of in depth with Kimmy about this when we were just, cause Kimmy and I are nerds about it, especially when we first started and we would live together right. and we would talk about the show and just like, you know, how our shows went and then just the show in general. And I remember talking to her and I was like, I, I have this option that I, I, I wanted to ask mm-hmm. her if it's like, mm-hmm. if it was too much essentially. Cause you know, sometimes mm-hmm. options can just be all about that. The, you know, all about Lissa instead of about, the story and Alphaba and what else and all that. So I was sort of asking her if this option was too much because of the words. I was like, the, the, the important word to me for the character would be never. So like that would be Mm -hmm. the end. The one that's taught is the things I've never felt. And that is an interesting emphasis, I think. Right. Exactly. Which I'm like, things I've never felt. We're like, great. You've said I the whole whole song, but that Mm -hmm. line Mm -hmm. is things I've never felt. Like I, I, she's never mm-hmm. felt joy. She's never felt like there's hope for her. She's never felt like, confided in, or she's never felt happy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, to me, mm-hmm. never was the important word, which is why I thought it should be the crest of the line of the phrase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I asked Kimmy that, and she was like, "No, that totally makes sense. That makes so much sense. Like, you should, you should talk to the music director about it and try it." And so I did, and. and and he let me try it. And, and so now it's just a little special thing that sometimes I get to do. <laughs> but yeah, thank you for Hopefully. saying that, even unprompted, <laughs> because I on. agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Justice for things I've never felt. <laughs> 
justice for never. Um, we had several listeners ask us to ask you about your cinnamon roll quest. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> this, you know, I didn't mean for it to be as, Please enlighten us. as big of a thing as it is, but I kind of love it. <laughs> When I, the first tour I did was the Aladdin tour and my brother was on that tour with me and it was an amazing time. And we mm-hmm. were, you know, if you've ever seen Aladdin or seen pictures of the the show, you see the costumes are pretty revealing, not revealing. They're just, you know, mm-hmm. you, you're, right. your skin is showing. And we had just started this joke, my brother and I, that we would get each other a cinnamon roll at the end of every city just to be like, <laughs> like, like a little treat to ourselves, you know, um, yeah. And he would always joke, he's like, I don't want to have it because, like, I have to be naked. And so it just, then, of course, because I'm an annoying little sister, I would continue to do it. So, yeah, I started on (laughs) on the Aladdin tour. We would get each other cinnamon rolls at the end of every city. And when I joined the Wicked tour, I was talking to Kimmy Emanuel and Jake Pedersen, my Nessa and my Bach. And I was like, man, my brother and I used to do this thing where we get cinnamon rolls. And they were like, let's continue that. They were so into it. And we're like, if you need someone to get a cinnamon roll, please get me a cinnamon roll. So... And we were in we were in Sacramento, and I knew nothing about Sacramento, so I just asked Instagram, mm. like, where can I get the best cinnamon mm. roll? And mm. it's the best thing I ever did. Now people, I think, are more invested in the cinnamon rolls than they are in in like in Alphaba, which you know, the say lovey. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was surprised at how many people asked about it. I was like, oh my goodness. I know you'd you'd be surprised at how many people at the stage door are always like, and your cinnamon rolls. Have you found the best one yet? And I'm like, not yet. <laughs> But but I'll let you know. Um, but did you like the <laughs> How'd show? I like my performance. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, <laughs> what? Still green. So yeah, that's how that sort of came about. And it's also a nice like mm-hmm. our. I usually do it on our last week in every city, and that week is really hard and. It's usually uh, hard on the crew because we have to load out and everyone's packing and it's sort of stressful. So it's just a nice little like treat to bring everyone mm-hmm. to be like, let's finish out, let's finish out this hard weekend with a little sugar. Yeah. One last great question that I think came in from a listener is: being a person of color in this world has that informed how you play the role or your experience mm-hmm. playing the role? Because there's not a lot of POC alphabas in America. Yes, I think it definitely has, and uh, I. Also remember back in college, I think I was listening to a casting director speak about uh, Elphaba, the character, and speaking about mm-hmm. being uh, misunderstood and not having a place. And I remember, uh, especially being um, not just a, a person of color, but a mixed person of color. I think there are, mm-hmm. or I have experienced a lot of like identity issues. Essentially, I don't I don't fit into one box. I don't right. necessarily look like what I'm mixed with. So I get the question of like, what are you? A lot, and uh, yeah. uh, especially in casting in our industry, it's I, I because I don't fit in a box. It's like I I don't know where I fit, and so mm-hmm. right. I remember first hearing the description of Alphabet being like, I really I I understand this this misunderstood person. And so, yeah, I think, I think being mixed in a person of color has really, really influenced how I identify with the character and how I play the character and the experience she, cause she goes through, I understand how they would feel in that moment and how they would fuel a person to, to make their next step, no matter what that is, if that's anger, if that's uh, being overly kind, if that's, you know, shutting down. Yeah, it has definitely influenced me in many ways. And do you have 
ambitions of continuing your alphabet journey post tour do or do we feel like once we finish this tour contract that's a nice little package for you and your career <laughs> i definitely have ambitions uh for once my tour time is over uh, i would love for my wicked career to continue i do not mm -hmm. and i hope um, that my journey with Wicked is not done because I love the show and I would love to continue doing it. Mm -hmm. And you're based in New York, right? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> love that for you. <laughs> Thank you. So, <laughs> manifest. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lisa, this has been so much fun. Thank you for joining us on Sentimental Men. Yes. Thank you for having me. Now I'm official. Yes. <laughs> now Damn, you're baby. official. Kevin, Lissa is such a cool girly pop. I had so much fun talking to her, especially because she was sitting on like a beautiful balcony of some kind. Yeah, and had like a sunset glow. I loved hearing her perspective about the self-tape of it all. Oh yeah, that really jazzed you up. Well, she's like right in the, the sweet spot where she'll probably only be one of a couple alpha buzz or like, who you know, people who are like booking these huge roles initially like from their bedroom and an iPhone. Well, I don't know. Do you feel like the pandemic of it all changed the industry where like a lot of things now are self-tape first, regardless of the fact that we're kind of back in the swing of things? I think that it is still, what I observe is that there are still a lot of self-tapes happening, but in-person things are starting to come back a little mm -hmm. more frequently than even, you know, last summer or whatever. I was like, how do we get her to send us that self-tape video? I knew she wouldn't, so I didn't even <laughs> ask. <laughs> Maybe when she's done. I don't think she's ever gonna be done because she said it's an easy sing. She is about- She's, she's gonna be the- She's, she's Jackie Burns. Jackie, Jenny, Alyssa Joy. Yeah. Girly for life. She lives down the street. She'll leave to do other gigs and then she'll come back and do like short little six month stints. Yeah. Leave, you need come an back. in between girl, I'm down the street. Everyone's sick. We're gonna watch her mature give me, give in this role minutes. like Jackie Burns. Oh. I want that for her. I love that she was nervous to admit that it wasn't a difficult thing for her. Own it. Are you kidding? If that was an easy thing for me, that would be like how I meet people. I'd be like, hi, I'm Lissa and Alphabet's an easy thing for me. <laughs> I also feel like it's very evident that it's an easy thing for her when we you listen to her it. do it. <laughs> like she is just she, chilling. Uh, it flies out of her. You made a very astute observation in that she's swinging and flying in every theatrical role that she does. Yeah, and not even as I was saying that, I feel like it was coming out in like a haha, like jokey way, but I genuinely was serious. Like, did you see King Kong? That show was like those crazy, like tough mutter things that people run. Like that's what the ensemble of this show was doing. And they were like puppets and they're like, lifting heavy things. And then when she's on for Anne, she's getting like thrown around in the giant monkey hand. Like Aladdin like scares me. Cause I'm like, what are you, sure. that, you like, what are you gripping onto? I meant to ask magic carpet or defying gravity levitator. Uh, we which should, one is more stressful. We should ask her to, to send us something to answer that. Cause I would be so curious. But you know what I didn't ask? Because I didn't have context for what kind of swinging she was doing in King Kong. So I was like, what if that's the craziest mm. one? 
Mm, that show, King Kong. Ooh, I hope they had a lot of physical therapy available to those <laughs> ensemble members. I mean, it's crazy. Anyway, I digress. She does do a lot of dangerous stuff and <laughs> physically demanding stuff in her roles. I mentioned it. It didn't get picked up during the interview. I think she'd be a great Satine in Moulin Rouge the musical. Ooh, I do too. I would love that. She could come down in that swing. Mm. And she would, yes, I love that. Speak it into the ears of those who need to hear it. And with all of those kind of like stunty flying type things and like the physical demands of the ensemble, I am wondering what her feelings are. We always hear like, oh yeah, Alphabet's like always running. Like she's, all, I'm always out of breath because she's always running or she's late for something. She's yelling. I wonder if Lissa's time in these like very physically demanding ensembles kind of prepared her for that in a different way. I think it did because here's the thing. I feel like it would have come up if like the physical of it all was mm, difficult mm -hmm. for her because I think that conversation was opened up to her multiple times as we were talking to her and she never mm. talked about that. You know what I mean? Whereas I feel like a lot of alphabets very quickly bring up how difficult the physicalness of it all You is. know what else didn't come up that I was like, okay, work, bitch, is everyone always says the yelling will kill you. The shouting? Not a peep about the yelling. And you know why? Because it it's so supported. When she's doing the flight speech Ooh, it's so healthy. It's it's so direct. It doesn't sound like she's like screeching. It just sounds like a nice supported mm -hmm. get away from my car yell. I also I loved Auntie Julia. I love that story. Oh, I also love I also love Auntie Jackie too. <laughs> Auntie Jackie feels like the like the fun aunt. You know like the real yeah, spicy the chaotic aunt. one. <laughs> Chewing yeah, her gum. Yeah. I also feel like we got a taste of Auntie Julia because if you think back to her episode, one, that was early on in our journey. Why was she needing to talk to us? Two, she really like cozied up in her living room and spilled mm -hmm. with us. We talked to her for a long yeah, time. She did. Yeah, because those were that was back in the day when we like didn't set ourselves a time limit and then we'd be like, no time Let's limits. get this down to 30 minutes. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I just love how many of the women we've spoken to have said like, oh yeah, Julia Murney was the first one who reached out or, you know, Julia is the one who taught me this trick that has like saved me over and over. And I love to hear how, how generous I really think Julia, Julia should write a book. Is. She should write a manual to, to give to the girls on day one. That should be how she frames the book. I think that could sell, honestly. The right marketing be a smash. Julia, call us. <laughs> Guys, we have an exciting couple of next episodes planned for you mm -hmm. all. We're plunging back into the wild, wild world of Wicked the Musical. And we couldn't be happier. Everybody, if you are listening, please go to whatever platform you're listening on. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. We appreciate it. It's the easiest way you can support the pod. Tell, Tell a, a friend. friend. Recommend us to somebody. You know? Send one of our videos to someone. It. Spread the word. Whatever tickles your fancy. It all comes back to us as positivity. So do your thing. Support the pod. Baby, we baby. No, not, I can't do this. As Lena Hall famously sang in Battle yes. of Hell. <laughs> all right. That's it. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Okay, <laughs>
You've been listening to Sentimental Men from Theaterly. This episode was produced by Quincy Brown, Kevin Bianchi, and the team at Theaterly. Thanks to Anthony Abitangelo, the most swankified podcast editor in town. And another thanks to Michaela Reynolds for making us look downright osmopolitan in our new key art. And to Julia DeMarzo for our logo design. If you want to get in touch, send us an email. We love to hear from you all. You can reach us at sentmenpod at theaterly.com. That's T-H-E-A-T-R-E-L-Y. You can also connect with us across social media on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at SentMenPod. Thanks for tuning in. Till next time, I'm Quincy. And I'm Kevin. I understand that Stephanie J. Block can sing. I understand that she is very talented. There was something about it that really caught me off guard, though, where I was like, shit! Well, she can sing! (laughs) (laughs) Not she can sing.